episode 37 of the Rosane Detroit Pistons podcast. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And holy crap, the Pistons are uh, pretty good this year. Um, we're going to kind of take stock. We, did, we didn't exactly celebrate right at the peak Pistons performance, but we're 12 and 6, second in the East, and we're going to talk about just how good we are. Are, are we really going to be a 55 win team this year? And just really assess how we're doing. Yeah, that's the pace we're on. I mean, the, the, that's a little hard to believe. We, I think our optimistic take was, like, maybe we could get up to 50 if everything goes right. And I still think that's probably about right. You know, we haven't had a lot of things that look like fool's gold happen now. But it just, um, after getting destroyed by Cleveland uh, in the second half of a back-to-back uh, the other night uh, on Monday, uh, we've come back down to earth a little bit. But, um, I, you know, I, I think that we're right there for that mid-40s to high-40s, maybe even 50-win season, and uh, yeah, hey, we're back. And we're I, decent. And I'm, I'm proud that we projected ours to be pretty good this year. We did not see any reason why we would be a, what, 35-win team that analysts were kind of dumping on us and saying we're going to tank. It just didn't make sense. And I think that we've even exceeded our optimistic expectations, which has been fun. And what I've been finding is having to recalibrate my gut feeling that we're going to blow it after watching the game yeah. and, and like watching just you know, on Friday, uh, us come back again and beat the thunder on the road and just like getting used to the idea that we can actually not blow it and play with poise on the stretch and have a shot to win. Yes. And, and part of that comes recalibration comes from we, the fact that we have some new players uh, and also we're, we're playing differently on offense. There were some stories uh, from uh, Stan Van Gundy speaking at length to reporters, I think it was after a shoot-around, about uh, how we're playing differently on offense. We're, we're, we're not just going pick and roll, pick and roll, pick and roll over and over again. Um, we're, we have uh, something, a system that gets more, more guys involved. We're having Andre Drummond be a, a passing hub from the high post, and um, Tobias Harris seems to love it. Um, so that seems to be getting everyone involved and Andre's assists are up. His turnovers are up too, but you know, maybe that's a big part in him trying harder. Uh, there's just, there's a lot going on and, and uh, it's just hard to get used to it that we have shooting that, that we're, uh, we can lock down on defense sometimes, you know, we're not the best team in the league, but we're a good team and we're, we're playing like it. Yeah. It's funny how winning is almost like this emergent, quality of not sucking in all these different ways. I mean, when you look closely at the difference between us this year and last year and the moves that Van Gundy made in the offseason to plug these little holes, last year we were a a top 10 defense, which was even better than this year so far. I mean, we're about that good if you take out the outlier of getting completely blown out by the Cavs. But we went from the 24th best offense to a 10th best offense. Uh, And we went from being one of the worst three-point shooting teams to a top five three-point shooting team with like almost 39% as a team from three. So, and that's exactly what Ben Gundy was chipping away at. It's like why we paid Langston Galloway, how much are we paying him? It's like seven million. Yeah. And everyone's like, Langston Galloway, you can't, you hard capped yourself on like, yeah, now our bench does not go out there and, you know, shit the bed every time. And and we actually, and our bench is actually playing stronger against their competition than our, than our starting starting fives are. Uh, And it just like, we, we have enough firepower that we don't just completely uh, kind of fizzle sometimes and just have no hope of coming back. Yeah, I think depth is a real strength of ours. We go more than 10 deep. 
Um, Van Gundy made a big deal about talking about how there were only a few guys in the league last year who made over two three-pointers and shot over some threshold percentage, like 37% or something, per 36 minutes. And he went out and got three of them with Tolliver and uh, Avery Bradley and... um, Oh, yeah, or maybe he got two of them and then we drafted Luke Kennard. Maybe that that's what it was. And um, so even the fact that John Luer uh, seems to have forgotten how to shoot threes permanently before he hurt his ankle, we, you know, even with him on the bench, we're, our bench is coming in and uh, ho- holding a lead or even you know, chipping away at the other team's lead so that our, our starters can come in and finish the job. It's just great. And, and that's part of recalibrating, too. It's like when the other team gets a 10-point lead or something – we're so used to them just just drifting off, you know, adding one point per minute to their lead or something like that. And now we got a chance to come back. We hit a couple threes. It's just uh, it's just so much more fun. Yeah, it's been great. Um, one, I think, more, more, the most prominent story happening right now that people talk about is Avery Bradley came and, and he changed our culture and, and now we're winners. And I really like Avery Bradley. I like watching. I, I feel like his professionalism and all in his effort seems like that's kind of our culture now, both him and Stanley Johnson, which we can talk about as well. But like, we have this identity of like a really hardworking team. Uh, and he's a good three point shooter. Uh, but when you look at, again, when you look at his stats, as we were talking about in the, in the preseason, they don't, they don't bear out like in, in terms of him being a, a great shooting guard or him being, being like our most uh, important player by any stretch. Uh, how, how do you weigh that in both the eye test and the, and the numbers? Yeah, I mean, he, he's this polarizing guy where coaches just rant and rave about how amazing he is. And the Pistons' early success, the narrative that the pundits grasped for, exactly as you said, was that he's come in and his professionalism changed our culture. But then he's he's not good on plus-minus stats. Um, according to ESPN's real plus-minus stat, he's the 24th best shooting guard in the league this year. Um, but you know, he, he really, you can see him making a difference and and it does show up in, in some numbers where one of the reasons we're better this year, one of the reasons our offense is better is that we're scoring a lot more in transition. And, um, this great site, cleaningtheglass.com that, um, Zach Lowe promoted on, uh, on his podcast from a former NBA analytics guy, um, breaks it, breaks down and gives us access to some new numbers. Our offense, our, our half-court offense is still like bottom 10, maybe even bottom 5 in the league. But we're getting a lot more points in transition. In particular, we're the best in the league at adding points from steals. And where are those steals coming from? There are three guys in our starting lineup that have that are really good at for their position at getting steals. Andre Drummond, who's been there and has been good at that. But Stanley Johnson has uh, stepped into the starting lineup and is starting to live up to our hopes of him being a good defender, and Avery Bradley. And so having two wing defenders, uh, Bradley and Johnson, uh, that that can force turnovers yeah, is making a difference for our offense. And, uh, and not only is our offense now uh, top 10, but our defense, even though it's performing similarly to last year, it's doing it in a different way. We the last couple of years we were bottom ten in the league enforcing turnovers and now we're sixth in the league enforcing turnovers, so it just changed the complexion of our team, and it just um, that's how we can go on those runs is we is you you get a stop and you don't just get a stop and then go back into grinding into your pick and roll over or over half court offense, you get out and you get a, a, a 
transition uh, possessions where you shoot before the defense has a chance to set are just much more um, much more fruitful than even the best half court offense. So that that's kind of where I put it is that you know what the scouts are right. Um, he makes a difference, and he doesn't get credit for being part of a defense that forces uh, better offense uh, or that um, turns defensive stops into better offense. Uh, for some reason, the numbers just don't show it. Now we have seen a bit. One, his biggest weakness, I would say, is is turning the ball over, um, and he's um, you know tenth percentile in the league uh, regularly in terms of uh, having too many turnovers. Um, and we've actually seen at the end of a couple of games, he if we would have lost the Oklahoma City game, it might have been because he dribbled to the corner and let Paul George just take the ball from him. Um, we did lose uh, another game. I, I forget. Was it against the Pacers? Maybe. Yes, it was the. I, I think it was the Pacers loss where he dri- dribbled to the corner on our end and, and uh, turned the ball over. Um, so, um, the, or maybe it was Milwaukee. It was one of those two games. So that that's my take on Avery Bradley. Is um, he really is making a difference? I don't think he's like a max player or anything, but. Um, I, and I, I don't think it's about character or professionalism, although that is an asset of his. I think it's just having a good wing defender who forces turnovers and a guy who can hit an open shot has just made the existing system work way better. Yeah, and I'll add that in, in terms of – it's funny that our, our half-court offense still stinks because it, it seems like it's been a little bit better because we don't just do a pick-and-roll with people standing around. We have people cutting and Andre Drummond doing dribble handoffs and – what I've liked to see is this this chemistry where Drummond actually has turned has started to make some good passes. Uh, his assist rate is like way up. It's like actually on the radar now of him being a decent passer. But he's also starting to turn the ball over. as just getting used to touching the ball. But I mean, I remember there was this, this one beautiful like he's had a couple of like beautiful lobs to Avery Bradley or, or backdoor cuts. I remember yes. against the T Wolves he did that. So I mean, I'm not sure if that's just you can credit Avery Bradley to that or just a change in offensive scheme. But I don't remember, you know, KCP cutting hard and getting a nice lob from Andre Drummond. Yeah. KCP was one of our better uh, guys at scoring in transition. He would, he would run out and, you know, maybe get open for a three, but in our half court offense, he didn't, he didn't offer as much. I I remember an insight I heard from Jeff Van Gundy on a a broadcast uh, within the last, I think it was last season where he pointed out that if a guy isn't good at scoring, you can make your your team's offense better by with cutting, setting picks, and passing. And those are the intangibles that don't show up. And you really see that with Avery Bradley um, running around off the ball, and he really has scored a bunch on on cuts. I, you, you know, that's something that we could look into as the season goes on. I think NBA.com, if you, if you flog their site hard enough in just the right ways, you can get it to tell you who's scoring a lot off of cuts. But I bet Avery Bradley's very good at that. Yeah, and I guess I would just say that I'm happy with him. Maybe it's just because we're winning now, but I, I do not regret uh, going out and getting him and, and losing Morris and KCP along the way. Yeah, especially because um, just K- KCP does not look like a guy who, uh, even with another year under his belt, he just doesn't look like a guy you want to be paying max money to. It remains to be seen what we're going to, have to pay Avery Bradley to keep him after this season, but he seems to like it in Detroit. He fits in well. Um, there aren't a ton of other teams that have a lot of cap room and really need a guy like him. So maybe we'll get a reasonable bargain, or you know, who knows? Maybe he'll be a trade chip in the middle of the season. I mean, it's just too early to tell. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's just been a blast. We we have wins on the road against like the Timberwolves, full strength. The Jimmy Butler back, the Thunder recently. We've swept the Timberwolves this season. We're not going to play them again. We beat them twice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the first time they didn't have Butler, so I was kind of like, yeah, well. Then we went on the road, coming off of a couple of losses. That was when I remember we were at, at the peak before we went on that that road trip, and, we, and then we lost to the Bucks, we lost to the Pacers, and I was like, oh crap, we could lose five in a row right now. Uh, and then we like won on the road in comeback style against the Timberwolves when uh, Reggie Jackson kind of punked Jimmy Butler on his last free throw and got him to miss one. That was hilarious. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, you know, we lost to the Cavs, but then we we bounced back and beat the Thunder. So I keep on getting ready to, for like the shoe to drop. It's like the old conditioned Pistons fan ready for us to blow it. But um, uh, it's been great to see us fighting through and just getting wins. It's just so much more fun to watch winning basketball. And- and I mean, there there are some shoes uh, that could drop on the horizon here. We're in the middle of a, a pretty nasty stretch where we have uh, what is it nine road games out of thirteen total games. Yeah. Um, and we had in one of our home games was was that uh, second game of a back to back against Cleveland where we got destroyed. But like Monday we're playing Boston, and then uh, the the first week of December we're playing. Uh, Washington and Philadelphia on the road back to back nights. Um, so you know we, we could we could regress a little bit back more towards 500 um, if things don't go right for us. We've played the Warriors and the Celtics um, are three of our next ten games. Um, yeah, and, and it's tough because right now we're second in the East, which is awesome. But you know, well, for instance, if we had lost to the Thunder on Friday night, we would be um, tied with. This, you know the Sixers in the fifth seed right now, and and then you have you know the Pacers are eleven and nine, the Washington and, and Miami are ten and nine, and the Knicks. So this is a season where surprisingly being a five hundred team has you squarely out of the playoffs in the East right now at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's one of the big surprise narratives in the national NBA media is like, oh my gosh, the East, the East is doing better than the West. What's going on? And um, you know we don't need to get into that. It, it's um. It's good that the East is competitive. I want to be in a competitive conference that's not an afterthought. And uh, I want us to – I don't want us to waltz into the playoffs. I, I, I think we should make it in there and play well. So, uh, you know, more power, to, more power to the other teams in the East. I mean, it remains to be seen. The Sixers are really good with, when Joel Embiid is playing, and he's never played a full season without getting hurt. Um, uh, and uh, hopefully he'll make it through this season without getting hurt. He, that guy's unbelievable. Yeah, and you pair him with Ben Simmons, who's looking like a Magic Johnson kind of point guard, and they're going to – I mean, their, their fans must be quite excited by how the process is finally coming through. I mean, they have, like, the most um, – potentially one of the most talented rosters in the league. Yeah. Um, so so um, one more thing, getting back to our, our offense a little bit. Just to show you how how much better it is to be playing in transition, you know, the, our, our half court offense scores uh, eighty eight points per hundred plays uh, in the half court. Now we, we are very good at um, getting putbacks and, and adding points that way because Andre Drummond's unbelievable. And then in transition, we we get uh, one hundred and thirty two points per play if we when we get out in transition per hundred plays. And that's um, you know that's second in the league right now. We we've all we've been top ten a bunch in the past five years in in getting in transition off of um, rebounds, and, and that's partly because 
uh, Stan Van Gundy, you, you'll always hear him when someone gets a rebound and sort of looks around for a second, he'll be yelling, go, go, go. And then you'll see a guy sort of get a spring in a step and go forward. But the, what's new is we were going from being average or terrible and getting uh, in transition off of steals to now, as of this moment, we're second in the league on that. And again, that goes back to just having that pressure defense that forces steals. Somehow, even though KCP was a good defender, um, adding Avery Bradley, he was better. He, he's better at that. That helps. But then Stanley Johnson emerging and from being, um, you know, a, a bench player and relying on Marcus Morris, who, um, while a pretty good defender, is not a big like ball pressure forcing steals guy. To having Stanley in there, it's making a difference, and it makes me feel a lot better about how Stanley is playing, even though he really is not doing that well on offense. Um, it, it, he he looks like an NBA player. He's starting on our team, making a real contribution, and and it's on that forcing turnovers uh, thing that where he's really doing it. Yeah, he opened the season with like a old for ten shooting night or something like that. But he but it was funny how afterwards he, he and Stan Van Gundy just said, well, they, they were all good shots, and he'll start making them at some point. And lately, he has been not that atrocious. And 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 what I what the big difference I've seen from him on offense is that. He doesn't make bad decisions, uh, really. Like he, he just like takes good shots when he has them open. Otherwise, it's like uh, moving the ball when it gets to him and, and not holding on to it for some stupid reason. And, and he's cutting, and, and and then he's just been really solid on defense. So to me, that was one of the opportunities we had this year. Uh, the big criticism on the offseason was like, well, we, we gave up two starters to get Avery to get a rental on Avery Bradley. Well, it's like that also opened up the opportunity for our one of our best uh, one of our potential assets and like someone we drafted in Stanley Johnson to shine. And if he can just get a little bit better on offense, yeah, you know, that's great. Who would have thought Stanley Johnson would be like a quality NBA starter this year. And, and his role is more what we need. We need a guy to play good defense like Marcus Morris did, but then to get out and transition and hit open shots, Marcus Morris uh, was more of a versatile defender. He'd guard guys in the post um, as well as on the wing, but he didn't force turnovers. And then on offense, he would stop the ball and do ISO and shoot a mid-range jumper, which was, unfortunately, the best we could do a lot of times last year, which yeah. is why we had a bad offense. But, you know, Stanley's fitting in well. One one interesting thing to keep, to track, we'll see if this keeps going this year, but if you look at his splits, he is shooting four, uh, 39.5% from three on the road and 18% from three at home. <laughs> um and you know it's a small sample size theater here, et cetera. We'll see. That's you know that one terrible game he had at home uh, probably really colors that. But um, I, I seem to recall last season or the year before KCP having a weird home versus road split on three point shooting. Well, he was great at home and sucked on the road. Yeah, which is more predictable maybe. But and I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like they're getting used to Little Caesars Arena, or it's just a, a, a random anomaly and it's 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 a big nothing. Or or what? But um, we should keep an eye on that as we go on because it, that that um, nine road games, thirty nine and a half percent from three. That's that's a tantalizing number because if he can hit an open three, he could be the wing version of Anthony Tolliver. You know, playing great defense, hitting an open shot on offense, and you know, uh, quality role player. Yeah, and another thing to keep an eye on is the the Stanley Johnson versus Justice Winslow tracker. I, I think at this at this point things are favoring our decision. 
Yeah, I mean, it, or or at least it, it's about even. I mean, uh, I, I actually have it bookmarked comparing their numbers. I'm so bitter about everyone saying we blew it by not taking Winslow. <laughs> um, you know, they they have um, they they both have about a, a 100 offensive rating, uh, which is bad, but they're about the same as each other. Um, the, uh, Winslow has a little bit of a higher usage rate. They, they, they both have a really low usage rate, and they're both inefficient. Um, and so they're about the same on offense through these box score numbers. So it's just a question of, uh, you know, and they're both known as quality defenders. Uh, so who fits better in their role? Um, you know, hearing things about how Miami thinks they have a few other guys who they like a little better in their, in their rotation than Winslow, and they're, they're worried about him. They're both 21 years old. Um, uh, I like Stanley, and I'm glad we took him. Uh, I, I, you know, Winslow's more of a, a small forward, power forward hybrid. So I will. I won't say Stanley's like kicking his butt, but um, I, I don't think that uh, the the people who were saying we blew it by not taking Winslow were correct. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, you know, let's get back to Andre for a little bit. You might, before you were talking about our, our three high quality pressure defenders and, and being able to get steals. Um, one, he seems to be getting better on defense in terms of taking the effort to get out and pressure on the perimeter and then and then kind of getting back on, uh, to the paint when he needs to. Uh, two, he's actually on the floor because he's uh, in, in more of the game now. Uh, it's kind of hard to remember, like, just to think about. He, he's It's just such a luxury having him out there, slurping up every defensive rebound, getting so many offensive rebounds. He had, he had like, I think he had, like, nine offensive rebounds the other night, uh, and, and that's just like so ridiculous, and that's partially made possible by the fact that he's not being hacked out of the game because he's shooting sixty percent from free throw, and that's it seems like that's going to stick because he got up to this great start and he was shooting like seventy five or eighty percent up from thirty four percent last year, and has come back down to earth a little bit, but he just seems like um, he, he's made even after like missing a couple of free throws, he'll have the confidence and, and the mental fortitude. To like like the other night he had two crucial free throws down the stretch to keep us in the game. Yeah, I, and he doesn't seem like he's. I think he's maybe had one game where he shot under fifty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it the biggest thing is it seems to have scared teams away from just purposely following him all the time, um, and, and doing the hack up strategy. Um, and and he's among our better guys on our team at drawing shooting fouls and. Um, I, I just, you know, you did that calculation last year about what would it do to his offensive efficiency if he just became an adequate free throw shooter, and it's borne out. I mean, he's he's um he's a, a above average efficiency offensive player now to go along with his rebounding, and um, you know, he's he's always been good at steals, but he seems to be playing better team defense now. It comes and goes. I, I think that a lot of the reason our, our starters um, don't have a good, like, plus-minus rating as a lineup is sometimes in the first half he seems to be, you know, not playing hard or a little out of the game. And then the second half he comes back and is a holy terror. And it's, you know, maybe he should, like, play a pickup game in the afternoon before a game so he can just, like, show up ready to play. Um, yeah, yeah, the Thunder against on Friday night, that was especially true. He had like two points, two rebounds at half, and then he like had a really good game by the end. Yeah. Um, and he's back to leading the league and rebounding. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets back to being an all-star this year. Um, his, 
and, and again, we talked before about the offense running through him. That's what I like about that is it seems to appease him being part. Like he's part of the offense. He's he's good at it. He, he's actually for his position. He's like near ninetieth percentile in assist percentage now, down from like he just he never really did that before. Yeah, uh, and 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 that maybe removes his urge to take short. Uh, sort of mid-range hook shots that were just awful last year, and now he either is ma- kind of making good passes, uh, getting the ball with good enough position that he can just take it to the rim and try to get fouled, or or, or uh, and it just not being being okay, not really trying to create his own offense otherwise. Yeah, or creating it by driving and trying to finish a layup instead of instead of trying to do be a traditional big man doing a post move. I think there really is something to the what you said about it. He feels like he's involved. I mean, um, you know, he his his turnovers are too high right now. He's, um, you know, tenth percentile in turnover percentage, you know, which is bad. Uh, most guys at his position don't turn the ball over as much as he does. But you can see him making trying some passes that would be great if they connected, and he's he's. 20 games into this new role as the hub of our offense. And, and also and also connecting on some really great passes. But yeah, so he's he's uh, swinging for the fences and hitting some home runs and doing some strikeouts. I think he'll get better at that as, as the games go on. But but the overall point about him feeling more involved, that reminds me of um, just some offensive philosophy that uh, I think um, Luke Walton has, or George Carl talked about in a podcast with uh, Zach Lowe last year, just having an offense where the ball moves around a lot, you'll end up with, you know, you'll get some good looks, you'll wear the defense down, but you will you might end up having some guys ma- uh, making plays that it's not the absolute optimal um, way to use that possession. Um, you know, maybe just like always having LeBron James shoot is the, is the optimal solution for that possession. But there's something about the, I think George Carl was saying the ball has energy and it just like, it gives guys energy to touch the ball, to have something to do on offense. There's, there's the old trope of like, you, you come down and you give, you give the big man one possession in the post just so he'll play defense. It was, um, there's an anecdote about Rip Hamilton telling the Chicago Bulls, Hey, Hey, the reason why Ben Wallace isn't playing defense for you is you're not giving him that one possession. Um, the Pistons in the Bad Boys days used to do that with James Edwards. Like the first possession of every half would be him, uh, him shooting a fadeaway uh, <laughs> post shot. I, so I think this is the new version of that: is you don't have a guy waste a possession in the post. You have him touch the ball. You have him make some passes. You have him do dribble handoffs, and then he'll play for you on defense. That, I, so that seems to be the theory, and I'm taken with the idea. I, you know, I can't prove that that it that it works. But, and I think there's something like that on defense, too. I, I heard a story the other day about Mike Budenholzer on, uh, likes to have his Atlanta Hawks defenders fight through screens, even though on any given possession, that might be a suboptimal way to do it. But it just gives guys the, the attitude and the energy to play hard on defense all the time that they just think they're going to have to fight through every screen. So there's like a psychological element to getting your whole team to be involved and play hard. Um that I think is understudied and underappreciated, and we might have stumbled across something here. I see that too. I mean, I mean, it it, it just uh, that's again goes back to it also not just being pick and roll with with uh, and people are cutting and moving around, and it's just the ball will swing side to side. And um, but so, but as much as we've talked about our starters and our offense improving, our 
our actual starting lineup apparently kind of stinks. And and how do we kind of how do we one one way I make sense of that is that we actually play a fair amount of lineups where we actually keep part of our starting lineup in the in the game. We we might keep Andre in there for a little bit longer, or um, I see Stanley Johnson or Avery Bradley remain out there with the second unit, and that partly explains it's not like our starters stink; it's just that like our actual starting five lineup is and is not competitive against other teams' starting five lineup. And w- one thing I would say in observing that is that um, one Reggie Jackson is individually talented enough to get a shot off in the in the half court, which is why. It's nice to have him in the fourth quarter. Like he's he's come and come through big time a couple times this year already. But I remember like in the first half of the of like the T Wolves game, like we just were getting our butts kicked and our starting lineup. We were falling way behind, and it wasn't until our bunch came in that we came back. And it was just like um, Reggie Jackson was holding onto the ball and like creating his own fadeaway two and then missing it, or like or even like we would get an open shot and Stanley would miss it. It just I was like, I felt I was feeling like we just didn't have quite enough talent offensively to be a decent half court team as a starting lineup. And, and that's why maybe we have to only rely on just like getting out in transition. Yeah. I, I don't know what to say about, uh, about our starting lineup uh, exactly. I mean, that someone said on a podcast the other day that the, or on Twitter or something that the, the Pistons starters net rating, you know, plus my on the floor versus off the floor plus minus is that of a 35 win team. And, um, you know, there are a bunch of things, caveats there is one, our starters are playing against the other team's starters and our bench is playing against the other team's bench. Yeah. So, I, I, yeah. So that's one thing. Another thing is, is what you said, which is it, these mixed lineups are most that are doing well are involve a lot of our starters a lot of times. So our starters are good, but you know, if I also, if I, if you look at usage rates, um, you know, the, the Reggie, Avery, Andre and Tobias all have a usage rate above 20%. Maybe it's kind of diminishing returns if you have four guys who can do a little bit above average at creating their own shot on the floor at the same time. They kind of cancel each other out, or they don't know who's supposed to take the shot. I mean, that that should work well because you have threats from every angle and everyone should get a good shot. But maybe they don't know how to play well together and you need to have two role players on. I don't know. That That's a wild speculation. And then I guess finally I would say, you know, plus minus is the perfect way to look at things in theory, but but you never get the sample size and the controlled experiments to really know what you're seeing there. And um, just the fact that we've had a few games where Andre had low energy in the first half and high energy in the second half, that alone could p- p- play a big part in ruining our starting lineups, you know, f- um, uh, plus minus because maybe the most solid times that our starting lineup plays against their starting lineup is in those first six, seven, eight minutes of the game. And then the rest of the game, it's all mixed hybrid lineups. And if, if Andre doesn't come ready to play in the first five minutes, then that blows their rating. And then he's awesome in the second half with a hybrid lineup with, with you know, Anthony Tolliver on the floor or something like that. So I'm doing a lot of hand waving here. It just, my point is we don't really know what the, that means um, we, we would plus minus would be perfect if um, if lineups were assigned by dice rolls, you know, just like randomly assigned players coming in and out every minute. Yeah, which would be a ridiculous way to run a team. Um, but if you want to do science on what works in basketball, you probably have to do something like that. Yeah. So 
you know, uh, the, uh, that's the long answer. The short answer is I'm not sure what's going on there. I mean, part of also is that having a deep team is pays off. I, I mean, I mean, part of what the Pistons have done in terms of our cap table and things like that is paid reasonably good people reasonably reasonable salaries, like uh, seven million dollars, eight million dollars for yeah. kind of role player like people, and we usually get torched for that, but. You know, we I see it feels like we have like twelve quality players on our team, and, and that pays yeah. off when when uh, I think our bench tends to play very strongly, and, and that's not a bad way to to be good. I mean, if if our starters are kind of like barely more effective than our bench, they're going to be mediocre against the opposing competition. But then our we only have a small drop off in our bench, and then we kind of it seems like we're really kicking butt against the competition. Um, and it's been fun to see. Uh, I would just like to see us not get off to that kind of slow start sometimes, uh, or uh, kind of get have things get stagnant with our starting lineup when we're trying to do a traditional kind of like last year's offense where Reggie Jackson kind of dribbles too much. Yeah, and if we get up to fifty wins this year, it'll because be because we worked through exactly what you're saying is we figure out how to get off to good starts. We figure out how to maximize ha- all the talent in our starting lineup. But getting back to your point about our depth, um, you know, paying guys middling salaries to be quality backups, you can't defend every single contract on our bench. Um, John Luer and Boban in particular right now are both making an above-average salary and not contributing much to our success so far. But um, I would say it's a little bit like they say, um, you know, 90% of your advertising budget is wasted, but the problem is you don't know which 90% that is, so you yeah. have to spend all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if someone is going to tell me that they knew that Anthony Tolliver and Langston Galloway would be great and that Boban and John Lewer would suck, um, you know, like, good for you. You're, like, the GM of the year. Yeah. Um, I mean, of course, you know, I can hear people out there saying, well, I knew John Lewer sucks, you know. But Lewer was great for us the first, like, half to two-thirds of a season last year, and then he's lost his mojo, and now he's been hurt, and he hasn't hit a, hit a three yet this year, I believe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's still a quality defender. He's still actually among our best players, even this year, at um, drawing fouls and things like that. He goes hard to the basket. For some reason, the coach trusts him, and, and um, you know, he soaks up minutes, and, and he's playing some backup center, and he's versatile. He could come back and, and have a great 20-game stretch at some point this season. Um, Boban, it was just sort of a swing big, you know, let's get some insurance for when Aaron Baines leaves and hopefully we can find a way to hide him on defense so that he can wreak havoc against opposing backup centers on in the post on offense. I hope we get to the point where we, we trust him uh, again, give him another shot. But, he, just, he just hasn't played, which, which still signals he's not valuable to us, but it's hard for us to see right. why. But, but, um, but the, you know, maybe that was a reasonable gamble to take. Maybe not, but, um, but I, I think that you don't get Langston Galloway and and Anthony Tolliver if you don't, you know, go for. Let's let we have a salary slot. We tried to get Al, Al Horford to come in and for to use our big free agent shot on him, and he wouldn't even come and meet with us. So I think he took a phone call, but he probably he took a phone call, but not a meeting or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I think at that point you got to decide: Are we gonna? Are we going to have a profitable franchise and not spend the money, or are we going to get a get just keep buying rotation players until we have a good rotation? 
Um, now, I will say we have not mortgaged our future because we still have all our draft picks. And the way that contracts are now, the um, you, we aren't signing guys. It's, this isn't like the old days five, five, ten years ago where you signed guys to five-year contracts that tie up your cap forever. These, these guys are all – these guys will all be off the books in two, three, four years. So, um, uh, you know, I, I – as I always say, I won't pretend like I can prove that this is optimal. I'm just saying it, this is a defensible way to go. And the and you can see why with us being 12-6 and six with a deep rotation and our bench keeping us in games – and uh, playing with high energy and forcing steals uh, and getting rebounds is paying off. And Galloway and Tolliver are among our team's most efficient offensive players. They're, they're shooting great. Um, they're, I mean, the only other, other offensive player we have that's even close is Tobias Harris, who we should probably talk about a little bit. I mean, yes. he's, he's just playing really well, and, he, and he's shooting. Uh, if, if, he, if it holds up, I mean, what is he shooting? Almost 40% from three. Um, so... Yes. Yeah. Tobi- Tobias, I mean, it's... Oh, he's shooting 47% from three right now. Yeah. So that, that feels... I mean, that's insane. <laughs> that feels unsustainable, along with um, Ish Smith is shooting a career best from mid-range. He, he, you know, just if you watch the games, you see he hits a lot of, like, fadeaway 14-footers at the end of the shot clock. Yeah. He's, like, shooting Chris Paul levels there. So th- <laughs> those are a couple of things that won't keep up. But... Um, you know, maybe on, uh, along with that, Andre will learn what to do, what, what, what passes to throw, what ones not to. He's missed some layups. But going back to Tobias, I mean, so here is, he's 25 years old. And th- this is where you start to hit your prime, typically, as a guy in his position. Um, he's, he's keeping his usage rate about the same, but he's, um, he's among the most efficient he's been in his career. He's shooting well. He just looks better shooting. He fe- it just seems like he's much more solidly on balance. Like he's jumping straight up and down, and has a good looking release. I mean, yeah. What would we? Oh yeah, when we beat um, the Warriors on the road, which seemed like kind of a fluke at the time, but hey, now we're like have a winning road record. Yep. Um, he, yeah, he hit a huge three from pretty deep, and we're like, whoa, Tobias. And now it's like, yeah, he's he has this great looking high arcing three point shot that he just makes all the time. It, like he's he's good at what he's good at, and, and, and which is um, he's 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 got two pitches. He can he can shoot when he's open, and he can do a, um, a show and go if you close out on him and and get to the rim. And he's not awesome at it, but he's good enough. He's had several go to go get all the way to the rim and dunk it situations this year. Um, he's not the greatest passer. Like his um, you know the for a guy of his usage, his assists are pretty low as they have been throughout his career. But he never turns the ball over. Um, he just um, he's just an above average, you know, s- scorer in, in our offense, and uh, he can play both small forward and power forward. I mean, he's just a great asset to our to our offense. And yeah, we'll have to see how his shooting holds up. Um, that that's one of the ways we could regress. Um, but you know, now that we have Reggie Jackson back and uh, Andre in his new role. Um, maybe we don't need him to stay at stratospheric shooting levels. Yeah, and kind of, I've I've been down on Reggie a little bit so far in this podcast, just because sometimes to the eye test, I, I we go on offense and I see him holding onto the ball and maybe forcing up a two. But looking at his stats, he's playing well. I mean, he's not our problem on offense. Really, Stanley Johnson in our starting lineup is our problem right now. Um, but he's 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 shooting. You know, he's a lights out free throw shooter that came in big a couple of times. 
he's been strong down the down the stretch, and he's you know playing efficiently, and and he seems like he has his first step back to break down the offense, uh, yep. which comes in really handy when you need like if we need to get off a reasonable shot uh, when things are getting really tight down the stretch, he can do that, and and he's fresh enough to do it since we're not hammering on that usage of his energy mm-hmm. throughout the game again running a more of a motion offense so looking at the that idea that he's back to what he was two years ago it's it's interesting he's um his usage rate is a little lower than it was before again that fits with what we've been saying we're running a little more through andre um uh tobias is uh being a little more assertive on shooting when he's open and that's all great but he's his usage is still high and that's what we need we need a guy who's good to create a lot of shots but his efficiency is a career high. Maybe he's not. Maybe some of that usage that he's giving up is some shots he was forcing before, mm-hmm. and he's um, distributing the ball a little better. He's he's uh, you know above average on um, this getting assists for a guy of his usage rate. Okay, and he's not in, and he's um, not turning the ball over. So is he? But is he exactly the same as he was two years ago? No, the composition of his shooting. Of the shots he's taking is a little different. He's um, two years ago he got to the rim with 31 percent of his shots were at the rim, and now it's only 24 percent. That's going from average to being well below average on that, and he's shooting um, much more short in the short mid uh, range. And that think of that as his floaters. And he's yeah, he's he's really good at that those floaters. <laughs> And he's shooting um, a, a couple more percentage of his shots are corner threes, um, and and then uh, threes from anywhere. So he's, I, you know, he's a couple years older, and our offense works differently now. Um, he's not he's not shooting as much or as well at the rim, and so that's you know I I think that speaks to different role and different explosiveness, but he's making up for it. He's shooting. He's just shooting a lot more accurately from the floaters. He's just making a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And he's he's shooting better from three, probably because he's shooting more of them open. He's not trying to force them. The ball is swinging over to him from Avery Bradley, Andre Drummond, Tobias Harris, having created something, and then it, the ball swings around to him open. So he's just fitting into the system very well, which is a really good sign. One of the big worries from switching to being pick and roll all the time to being uh, a more egalitarian offense is well. We brought in Reggie to be Mister Pick and Roll. Is he going to sulk? Is he going to fit in? It's great. His efficiency is up because he, he's a good shooter and he can still attack. Even though he's not getting to the rim as much, which is a little worrying, he's still making it happen. Um, so that um, Reggie hitting more from more floaters um, and uh, Ish Smith hitting more mid rangers and and Tobias Harris. Um, shoot, shooting lights out from the outside. Those are the things where if we come back and we say, well, we're not a top 10 offense anymore in a, in a month, it'll be because those came back down to earth. So we got to find ways to um, keep the pressure on, um, you know, by scoring in transition, hopefully by Stanley Johnson hitting more of his shots, um, hopefully by just getting more possessions that we're not wasting because Avery Bradley isn't turning it over or Andre isn't trying to squeeze that pass through a thread and a needle. Um, so there's another shoot a drop with, with these shooting percentages coming back down, but there's some hope for making up for it by getting better in other ways. Yeah, I mean, if, the, if, some, of, if, if some of those 
shooting percentage is coming down a little bit, but then Stanley Johnson's come up a little bit, and Avery Bradley stops turning the ball over as much, and Andre Drummond stops turning the ball over as much. Those things could balance out. Uh, and we just have enough things going right in our offense that it feels like it could really hold overall. Yep. Um, yep. Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe we should wrap it up here. We've been kind of going for a while. I mean, wh- one last thing that I'm looking across our team that I'm pretty excited about is that, you know, Luke Kennard looks like he is he's a contributing. Uh, he's, a, he's a competent bench player as a, as a rookie, and we haven't had someone actually contribute as a rookie. I can't remember the last time that happened. I mean, Andre Drummond sure, sure didn't. Yeah, uh, and he's he's actually you know has an offensive rating of like one twelve, and uh, he, he will make you know he not only will he shoot a three confidently, and you feel like it's a good shot because he might make it. He you know he can actually put the ball on the floor and kind of disrupt the offense a little bit, and, and maybe just kind of not quite get it to happen and, and pass it back out. But he's just not making dumb decisions. You know, he's not turning the ball over. A, I guess he is a little bit, but he's not. He he just looks like he's he looks competent and he's already been effective for us. Yeah, I, I'm. You always worry when you you take a guy and then you know he he doesn't get a lot of playing time at the beginning. You kind of wonder like, oh gosh, did we did we blow it here? And then Donovan Mitchell is the the guy who, much like Justice Winslow and uh, Stanley Johnson, will be linked in my mind forever. Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell will be linked. We could have taken Donovan Mitchell. A lot of people liked, a lot of people liked one. A lot of people liked the other. Um, you know, the, a lot of the cool kids on the internet that we like, you know, folks from the Ringer basketball podcast liked Mitchell better. Um, but you know, they're 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 playing. Uh, Kennard looks like a real NBA player, and he's surprising Van Gundy by playing competent defense. He, he's shuffling his feet. He's keeping his hands straight up. He's not getting fouls. Um, and he, he just, he looks like he belongs in the NBA. And that's great because. Yeah. When, when your team drafts, long-term. when your team drafts, like the white guy is a good shooter, you know, as someone who was really hopeful for like Nick Stauskas, the, the, the Michigan player to, to play well, he's probably out of the league now. So, you know, I'm just actually surprised that, that things look so good so far. So good. And to your point on, on defense, I mean, not only a white guy, but a white guy with T-Rex arms. I mean, people were – that was sort of unfair, but that was another kind of easy yep. low blow. I mean, he doesn't have a big wingspan. He's six foot five with like a six foot four wingspan. Yeah, so people like were kind of really hammering at that. Uh, Which is like normal for a human being, but not for the an abnormal NBA player. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, he's, he's, he's holding his own. Uh, and so I, I would, I'm looking forward to – He's shooting 38% from three. So comparing him to Donovan Mitchell, Mitchell's putting up some great numbers. He hit like six threes last night, or I, I think. Um, and he, um, but there, um, Kennard's shooting better from three point range. He's shooting better from two point range. Um, he's getting more rebounds per hundred possessions, uh, similar amount of steals, fewer turnovers. It's just that Mitchell is getting a lot more playing time. He's played, um, 563 minutes compared to Kennard's 200. Um, and his usage rates way higher, 28 instead of 18. So, He's just in a in a role where, because of I don't know if it's due to injuries, or, you know, or they lost Hayward and, um, but for whatever reason they're playing Mitchell a lot, and they don't have a, a lot of shot creators in Utah, so they're just, uh, you know, he can get a shot off, and they're asking him to shoot a lot, but you know, Kennard is just playing in a different system that needs something different from him. He's playing behind Avery Bradley, um, 
So the jury's still out. Uh, I think most people around the NBA just who watch a bunch of games but don't aren't hardcore Pistons fans would probably say, yeah, Mitchell's a way better prospect. But I don't know. I mean, they both look like NBA players, and if if you take into account their different roles, they're playing actually. They're making similar contributions, so I still feel okay about it. I'm a little nervous, and you can tell I'm uh, doing a little uh, hand waving justifications, <laughs> but um, it, it could still be all right. They're the same age, they play the same position, and I'm going to be watching both of them for the rest of their careers. All right, and and to close on a, a maybe obscure or boring note related to our first round white guy draft picks. I've been a little bit disappointed by Henry Allenson's lack of opportunity to, to play well this year. And that's mostly because Tolliver's playing so well, but like he looked, he looked really good in like the first two games of the season. And then he, he hasn't had, he, he hasn't looked good since and he hasn't had much of a chance to look good. Uh, but you know, there was signs that he might actually start contributing this year, but uh, alas, not so much. You know, I won't, I won't compare him to Kennard because they play different positions and Kennard has, been a little more positively surprising, but Ellenson, when he's out there, he does look like an NBA player. He's the right size. He looks very coordinated. He can get the get a rebound and dribble the ball up. Yeah, and that's you know his interesting skill. Um, I think he'll and and also just in training camp and early in the season, Ben Gundy was raving about his effort and commitment to defense and stuff. So that all bodes well. We have a real logjam at for power forward minutes. We've got. And when Lure comes back, even more so. So yeah, we've got Tobias, we've got John Lure, we've got Tolliver ahead of him in the in on the depth chart. So it might take a trade or, or something, or an injury or something, or an injury yeah. before he gets a shot. But really, I think Ellenson he needs to start hitting some threes, and then he'll get. I think he'll get some more run. But I've been disappointed by that too. He does look like an NBA player. He doesn't look like a bust to me. No. Okay. Well, the Pistons. Reminder: the Pistons are good. Uh, if you're if you listen this far, you must be really enthusiastic about the Pistons. Thank you for listening. Um, I, we've been doing this for a couple seasons now. I think we have a steady core of a uh, hundred plus unique listeners. And uh, if you like it, it will make a difference to tell your friends and uh, share it on social media and things like that, or give us a review on iTunes. Uh, we're not exactly pros, but. It is fun to have people listen to this when we bother to record these things. So thanks again for listening. Thanks. Thanks.